welcome to Unconscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist, entrepreneur, and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. The purpose of our podcast is to connect you in a meaningful way to the world around you and to help you dive deeper into your own life and habits, into the products we use, the way we think, and how we interact with the world around us. April is Anxiety Awareness Month, so we'll be covering such topics as stress and burnout, sleep and mental health. In today's episode, I speak with brand strategist Katie Graham about her personal and professional experience with burnout and her subsequent pivot to slow living and slow business. I was always seen as someone in the agency who was a safe pair of hands, and I always thought that was a compliment. But what happens when you're an overachieving perfectionist safe pair of hands is you look like you're coping on the outside but you're actually combusting on the inside but you don't know that that overwhelming feeling of stress is anything to worry about. I now know that that was anxiety and my good work was fueled by anxiety but I had no idea what it was back then. So let's jump in. My guest today is Katie Graham. It's such a pleasure to have you on today Katie. Thanks so much Liz. You and I work together, so I have the pleasure of watching you in action, and we've obviously had many personal interactions as well, and I just think it's really important to hear your story today. But before we do that, I just want to tell everybody what you do. So Katie has 15 years of big brand experience across multiple categories, including almost 10 years leading complex corporate brands in the strategy arm of two multi-award winning agencies in Sydney a senior marketing role at Foxtel and a stint in fast-growing startup I Quit Sugar, which most people would know of, as head of sales and marketing. And Katie launched her own strategy consultancy in 2016, which is why we find ourselves working together. So Katie is my uh, brand strategist at OneSeed. Katie, you and I have had the pleasure of talking together about lots of subjects, but one of them that's come up a few times is about burnout because we both have a burnout story or a story of how life kind of got a little bit out of hand or too busy and we, like lots of people, have suffered through levels of stress and burnout. But first, let's um, hear about your 15 years history in marketing and advertising. How did you get a start and what sort of roles did you work in? Okay, great question. Um, I think as most of us um, start our careers in definitely not a linear fashion. So I became obsessed with working in hospitality. I worked at a really fun cocktail bar down um, in, in Sydney at King Street Wharf called Cargo. And I was just obsessed with it, was making so many tips, had so much fun. And it wasn't until one of the sales team members from Heineken plucked me out of the bar one day and said, will you come and work with us? That I actually left hospitality and, um, and started my career. So I supported Heineken through their Rugby World Cup sponsorship, which was quite fun and then headed back into hospitality doing events and marketing for a restaurant group in Sydney um, and did a couple of stints in a PR agency. Um, I worked for Pacific Magazines in a corporate communications role, moved to Foxtel in a corporate affairs role. So I had quite a lot of movement early in my career just trying to work out where I fit. And then I finally made the move from Foxtel into an awesome boutique agency. They were a PR, social media, 
events, just a fun agency looking after big brands. So that's where I spent nearly seven years, got a lot of my big brand experience and learnt so much, learnt like everything moves so fast working in, in an agency that's in growth, an agency that's in demand, that's winning lots of awards. Uh, all the amazing brands kept coming to us, wanting to work with us. So it was awesome. But it's a nice segue. It was a huge recipe um, for burnout for me. It's interesting because that sort of role is a lot of people are quite envious of those types of roles. It sounds like it's fun, it's exciting, there's a, so much movement, you never get bored. So, mm-hmm. what did life look like for you back then? Um, so, when it was good, uh, when it was good, I, I just, I was married to my job and I loved it. And I got to work alongside people who became my friends. I spent so much time with everyone I worked with. We, you know, we work hard, play hard, which again is another little signal that burnout was on the cards. Um, so yeah. I'd go into the office from sort of 7am to sometimes 9pm. And at 9pm, when we were all sitting around still working on a pitch or a big campaign, what would you do? You'd go to the pub and we'd have something unhealthy for dinner, lots of white wine. Before we knew it, it was midnight, the bar was closing. We'd go home, have a few hours sleep, and then we'd be back in the office at 7am. So 7am would then look like, you know, bacon and egg rolls and lots of coffee to deal with that hangover um, and the lack of nourishing food um, being consumed in any 24-hour period. So that that's kind of where the cycle started. At the time, though, Liz, I was having so much fun. I was really enjoying yeah. it. There was so many accolades and praise and I'd laugh every day with everyone in the office. And um, my best friend Polly at the time said, you just don't seem yourself. You're getting further away from who I, I think of as my best friend, you know, what's going on. And I actually turned on her and um Bless her, she's stuck by me the whole way through and we have a much better relationship now than we, we ever have because we've been through it together now. But, but yeah, that was the first little clue for me and I thought, you know, I, I thought it was her. I was like, well, how dare she say that? Um, what did she see that you didn't see? She, she could see negativity coming through. She could see um, the sparkle had kind of gone from my eyes. When we would catch up, I wasn't there. There was a complete lack of presence and there was a complete lack of fun. So I mistook the interaction and connection I had with the people I was working with as fun, but it wasn't fun. We, we would sit there and we'd vent about work or we'd bitch and it's so toxic and unhealthy, but you don't realise it at the time. So so she just saw the the sparkle just completely go. Wow. And you didn't feel that or see that yourself at the time? Do you feel like it took your friend to highlight it? Oh, I wish it would. I wish it was just her highlighting it. I didn't realize until another few years later when I'd recovered from burnout, when I'd actually been through it and recovered, and then went, oh, this is what she was talking about all those years ago. Um, So I was completely in denial about it for so long. So that was kind of at the peak of my career being great. After that, I was, I'm, I'm a Virgo, um, like crazy. I've got a crazy amount of Virgo in my charts. I'm a perfectionist and I'm a doer. I do a good job. I know I can do a good job. And so in many years of my corporate career, I would struggle to delegate because I just knew I could do it better. 
So I was always seen as someone in the agency who was a safe pair of hands. And I always thought that was a compliment. But what happens when you're an overachieving perfectionist safe pair of hands is you look like you're coping on the outside, but you're actually combusting on the inside. But you don't know that that overwhelming feeling of stress is anything to worry about. Um, I think, you know, I now know that that was anxiety and my good work was fueled by anxiety, but I had no idea what it was back then. Um, So as I moved further up the ladder, I was getting more responsibility, leading huge accounts, um, leading huge pitch teams to win new business, doing all of those things, but still carrying a lot of the work that I'd always done with me. And so after a while, I just, I became so negative and I, I just, I remember people saying, you know, you've got to be really careful about your negative energy. You know, you've got Mm. such, such an important role in the agency and your negativity is spreading. And I just thought, you know, well, stop overworking me, stop overworking me. And I, you know, I'll I'll be happier. Um, But of course we couldn't all see the full picture because I was such a coper on the outside that no one could see what was going on, including myself. No one could see what was going on in my brain. Yeah. That's crazy because knowing you now, I cannot picture you being negative or to be honest drinking too much and eating bacon and egg rolls Mm. early in the morning and getting back to work (laughs) you've obviously had a massive turnaround and a massive epiphany since then but we won't skip forward too far I'm just trying to picture (laughs) the Katie I know with that Katie and it feels like two completely different worlds it's crazy completely different and the health kick Liz actually started when I was still in the agency And it was the health kick and cleaning up my diet and exercising regularly and feeling good that started to open my eyes up to another way of life. Mm -hmm. However, as a lot of us do, that high-intensity exercise that I was doing seven mornings a week at 5 a.m. before going in for a long day plus all the coffee was actually pushing me further into fight-or-flight mode. So it was great on one hand. but Yeah, and I think that's interesting because a lot of us who are in periods of stress or burnout or high anxiety feel like, okay, we know the next thing to do is fit in some exercise and so on and you know start to eat better. But it's the, okay, now I have to get up at 5 a.m. to fit in exercise as opposed to making space for things like exercise and healthy eating and meditation or yoga or whatever it happens to be. Mm. So you compound the problem because all you're doing is extending your day and putting more pressure on yourself and increasing your own expectations of yourself because now I have to do the exercise and now I'm failing if I can't fit that in. Mm. So when what was the sort of pivotal moment or period of time where you started to realize, actually, this I'm not doing well here and the things that you could then see for yourself that led you to realize that you were suffering from anxiety and ultimately from burnout? When did you realize that was happening? I realized far too late and I I look back in hindsight and I can see all the moments that there were clues, big, big clues, but it was actually only right at the end when I, my back went and there was something between my L4 and L5 that just completely seized up and sent my whole back into spasm and I went to the physio and the physio who I'd been seeing obviously quite a lot because I was doing so much exercise and not doing enough rest 
Um, so I went to see him and he just asked the question, are you under a lot of stress at the moment? And I said, well, you know, now you mention it, yes, I, I guess I am. And he said, I think your back is fully in spasm because of stress. It's just your body's way of saying stop and rest. And he said, I think you should go and see your GP and you should probably just get a doctor's certificate so that you can take a couple of days off work. And, you know, I let that go for a few days and then I thought, oh, I probably should get a doctor's certificate. I need to take a couple of days off. Went to the GP and she said, how are you? And remembering that I was a coper back then, I didn't show any vulnerability at all. I burst into tears. And mm. it was a GP I'd been seeing for a few years and she said, okay, we, we need to get onto this. Well, what's going on? And it was that moment in the GP's office where I just couldn't control my emotions and just broke down um, that that was, that was the signal for me that, okay, your back's already given in. And now you can't control your emotions. And I still thought of it as control. No, you can't control your emotions. Yeah. I now know yeah. that there's no, you know, control doesn't exist. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was the big pivotal moment for me. What other symptoms did you experience around that time? What else did you start to notice about yourself or how you changed or how you felt or the way that you saw the world? Um, definitely negative. And I would look for... You know, you'd you'd get into conversations, and you you could just, in hindsight, see yourself talking about the negative, looking for ways to vent, to bitch, to complain, um, which is not me at all. So I think those things were kind of superficial. The hours I was working definitely were a symptom and a signal, and then being obsessed with it. You know, going into the office on the weekend because I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, I couldn't. I could only really function working. And I remember going to yoga a couple of times and I'd walk into the class, sit on my mat, lie down, and then in my head there would be these stories, you can't do this, you shouldn't be here, you should be at work, you can't get through this, you're going to start crying. And then it would quickly switch into, so it's all the stories, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Liz, and then the stories would continue, you know, no one will know if I leave now. Yeah. And I'd be counting down, checking my my watch to see if I had time to leave the class before it started and I'd push through stay for the class and then I'd get to the other end of the class and go oh actually I don't feel like working now and everything everything is is manageable I can cope with everything I can have a night off so it was on the yoga mat as well that I started to see the light that I started to see the shift in my mental state and um, and I could see how much stronger I was from taking that time, finding that space. So it was when you managed to stop yourself and more or less force yourself to take time out for yoga that you found that your thinking started to change and you gave yourself permission to have space? I think so. Um, but I, I also think it was being guided in a class and I had great teachers who would always use a beautiful theme through the class so they'd make you that help you think about different things and help you shift your perspective during a class. Do you think that process is about relinquishing control on some level? Um, probably and also just having someone hold that space for you where you can close your eyes and you feel like you're in a safe space and you're being held. 
And I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's that first taste of, of not, not, yeah, it's relinquishing control and feeling like you don't have to be the strong one. You don't have to do it all. What other symptoms were you experiencing at that time? Definitely overthinking. So my brain just never switched off. And I would describe it at the time as I'd walk away from the office and it felt like I had someone tapping me on the shoulder constantly because there were all the taps were things I hadn't done or ideas I hadn't cracked or emails I'd forgotten to reply to. It was just, it was constant. So it was the stories, the thinking, the overthinking, the what have I forgotten, just constant barrage of thoughts constantly. Mm. And it's like that emoji, you know, the emoji with the, the exploding brain. That's yeah. to me what burnout feels like. And then there was the emotional side after that. So just feeling like I wasn't coping, it wouldn't take much for me to feel sad or upset. But of course, the sadness and the the heightened emotions were not actually coming from the thing that was happening to me. It was the buildup of stress and anxiety. Mm. So I, I've become an, a non-coper in my personal life. It's interesting that process that you say of lying there and feeling like you really couldn't give yourself permission to relax or take the time because there was so much, so many other things to do and the whole thought of if not me, then who? And if I can't do it now, then when will I get it done? And the need to mm. constantly cross things off your list and constantly feel like you're achieving and you're getting things done. That's I think that's so familiar to so many of us, especially people in creative roles or people who are in leadership or entrepreneurship. I think that's so familiar to us. When you realize that you're in crisis, how long did it take you to recover and what sort of steps do you take? I know for you, you made a massive change and you ended up shifting down to Byron Bay. What was that whole process like and how long did it take? What were the steps and when did you start to feel like, okay, I'm actually regaining some control and I need to see life differently and and that actually started to happen for you? Okay, so it's been five and a half years since my burnout now. And the way I dealt with it at the time, whether it was the right way, the wrong way, I definitely think I let it go too long. And I actually took stress leave under the guidance of my GP and physio, took stress leave and never went back to the office. And that was so traumatic. Um, You know, my my things were packed up for me and delivered to my apartment. Wow. And so you can imagine... You know, you're already in a state of overwhelm, overthinking, so many stories, uh, so emotional, unable to cope with anything. And then what then happened was all these stories started going through my head of what are they thinking? What are they saying? So after, after I took that stress leave, when that was up, I packed up and went overseas for two months and just spent time with really, really close friends who I, I just had this craving to be around really old close friends who at the time were all living overseas. So I spent a month in uh, two weeks in New York and then six weeks in in London um, with my closest friends. That was kind of step one, and that was that was the start of recovery. I thought I was good when I came back, but I had no idea what was coming. And when I got back, I started seeing a psychologist, and it wasn't long into seeing my psychologist that she said, "You're actually suffering from stress induced paranoia," and she wow. said. But don't worry, 
that's short term. And she said, I'm here, I've got your back, we'll work through this together. But the constant stories, the stories, and she said because of the way that it all ended um, was traumatic, it was just those stories replaying in my head. So the way the way I overcame it was with an amazing psychologist and I still check in with her once or twice a year just to check in. You know, sometimes I'll speak to her and say, I don't actually know what we're going to talk about today and we, we have the best conversations now. But psychologist is number one because you cannot get through it on your own, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Yoga and super regular yoga to the point that I was like, yoga saved me and I went and did my teacher training. I became so obsessed with yoga and so curious. You'll know that I'm a super curious person. I became so curious about what it was about yoga that was changing my mental state within a one-hour class. Um, I was just so blown away by the power of yoga, so I went and studied it. But then the way that I got from complete burnout, complete shutdown, time off, to where I am now is quite an interesting journey and it's one that I have coached quite a few people through, um, friends and friends of friends. So the first step was building my confidence back up because if I'd gone straight from that state into starting my own consultancy, I, I would have given up by now. Um, so I did a few contract roles for six months at a time in Foxtel at I Quit Sugar and with an advertising agency. Great roles but they weren't full-time and I was a contractor. So I walked into these roles with that contractor mindset. So there was, there was no attachment to are they liking me, am I doing a good job, all those pleasing elements that are so common with people who burn out. So I was going in, doing my work and leaving and I was leaving it in the office. I wasn't taking it home with me. So I think doing those contract roles was was a huge part of my recovery. Um, and the third, so I think the, the Foxtel one was actually full-time and then I, I went down days. So I did five days a week but really like they were so good with hours and they weren't clock watchers at all. They just trusted us. It was great. It taught me so much. Um, I Quit Sugar was a nine-day fortnight and then I cut down to I think a four-day week by the end of the contract. And then the advertising agency was three days a week. So as I cut down the days, I started introducing days where I could start to go, okay, what can I do? What is my consultancy? What does it start to look like? And without the pressure, the financial pressure of having to find clients straight away. So that was the first couple of years post-burnout. Um, and then since then, I, I've just come leaps and bounds and I've never been happier and more grounded and more confident in myself than I am now. And I did make a huge shift three years ago in May with my partner, Marty. We moved up to Byron Bay and we just completely slowed our life down. We simplified our life. We took a lot of the pressures out of our life that come from living in a city with lots of family and friends around. So, you know, there's more room for spontaneity. You know, there we've we've connected with people on a, a deep, genuine level because everyone up in Byron has moved away from family and friends and are seeking connection. So all of those things have massively contributed to um to where I am now. 
It's interesting how you say you gradually cut down in hours. So you left your initial job. And I think sometimes our instinct is, okay, I'm just going to cut right back to zero or one day a week. But Mm. I think the interesting observation in, in what you're telling me is that you found it really hard to not work. And I think a lot of us who are in the throes of burnout or have that type of personality, we need to work. It's almost like it's like an intrinsic need to work and produce. So I wonder if sometimes if you had have just thrown in the towel and just gone to no work or one day a week, you almost crash in the middle. I would have. It's interesting perhaps that that can somebody might need to hear that today, that you don't necessarily need to throw in the towel and cut everything out, but maybe it's just that gradual slowing down, slowing down and getting to a place where you find then you can disconnect rather than disconnect instantaneously and then feel that you're completely free falling. Yeah, absolutely. And there was was one girl who I've coached through burnout within a a fast-growing company And she's actually found a way to introduce boundaries into her existing role. So she's cut back to four days a week, you know, managed to put boundaries in place and she's managed to do that within a company. And I I think that's the important point. It doesn't have to be that rock bottom for everyone. Not giving up, like pulling out of everything cold turkey. That is a recipe for disaster, speaking from experience of doing that. (laughs) Yeah, and I've also noticed there are times, and certainly in my life and having spoken to other people who've gone through burnout or you know very high periods of stress or anxiety, sometimes I think life knocks very quietly on the door and says, okay, you kind of need to pull back here, you need to step back. Often we ignore that, and sometimes something major has to happen, a crisis, or it can be as simple as literally your phone dies or your computer dies out of the blue then it makes you go, okay, I have no access to phone calls or I have no access to emails. And it's happened to me before. And my initial response was, oh my gosh, I have to go out and buy a new laptop straight away. And then waiting for a couple of days, I actually thought, hmm, maybe all these things that I thought were super important, vital tasks that I need to do, I don't need to do, or I can slow them down. So sometimes it's in the finding yourself with you know, it could be losing your job, it could be your phone dies, it could be any number of things, or maybe you lose a bunch of clients through no fault of your own, you're forced to make some changes. And it can happen both ways. It can happen because you've ignored it for so long and something happens. Or as you said, for you, it was just a breaking down of yourself. And then you realize slowly that you needed to make some changes. You did have a big health crisis along the way, Katie. Do you want to talk us through that a little bit? I did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as a result of all the stress for so many years, I was diagnosed um, four years ago. Uh, Four years ago, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune um, disease. And while we don't know exactly why you get an autoimmune disease, There is a lot of science around stress being a huge contributing factor and long-term chronic stress. So based on the timing of when I started to experience the symptoms, um, which are super common symptoms, so lower energy, weight gain, and I'm not talking massive weight gain, just, um, just that gradual weight gain that pretty much only you can notice but you know that you know that you haven't changed your exercise or your diet so you know there's you just know deep down there's something not quite right going on 
And then fatigue. So things that most women in particular just don't even think of as being um, symptoms of a chronic disease. But I was quite in tune with it at the time and I was seeing an amazing naturopath, Anthea Kaluris, and we just kept digging. We kept digging until we found what was actually going on. Um, And I think we got onto it quite early, which I'm so grateful for because I was just so curious about what was going on with my body and and why were things not working the way they should be. And it's it's something that, you know, the shift to Byron has been the best thing I could have done um, for my Hashimoto's. I've really focused on doing low-intensity exercise, really focusing on um, on a lot of slow meditative practices. So I've become a huge fan of yin yoga, which ironically I could not have done when I was at the peak of my burnout. There is no way I could have done a slow 60-minute class. I would have walked yeah. out for sure. Um, I mean, I, I can't now do I love that it. just <laughs> The thought of doing a slow 60 minutes, even for me, which, you know, again, I've had burnout too, but that that is often Mm. a sign of, okay, you might need to slow down, is the thought of sitting quietly for 60 minutes. That gives me a a little bit of a state of panic, but that is is an early warning sign too, isn't it? If you can't sit for 60 minutes. I think it is. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, particularly when you're guided in a class, but it's not for everyone and it's intentionally uncomfortable, but the reward you get for doing it for 60 minutes is the most incredible blissed out state. Wow. So if you can sit with it, it's yeah, it's just it's the most incredible feeling. I've done yoga a few times. I'm not a massive yoga fan personally. I would rather go for a walk or sit in the garden and that sort of thing, even though I know that yoga is amazing for you. But the type of yoga that I've often liked is um, hot yoga because I feel like I'm really getting a strong workout. But the interesting thing is I have a, a friend who's a personal trainer and also a yoga therapist as well. Um, what do they call it? A yoga? Yoga teacher. Yoga teacher. <laughs> um, and she she does both. She does really hard workouts. She owns a few F45 gyms. She does all that stuff, but she has both. She has that yin-yang sort of thing going on. And there's the times mm. where I've been able to overcome my resistance to laying there for 60 minutes in a really quiet space. And exactly like you say, I come out and the world actually feels different and I'm always surprised. And suddenly those things that I felt like, okay, the class finishes at 10 and then I've got to do this at 10.30 and this and this and this, suddenly I come out and I think, hmm, I might just go for a quiet coffee. And somehow it does. It, It almost expands your mind and you find space it always blows my mind about yoga but it's that initial overcoming that initial resistance to the time and the space and the literal doing nothing for 60 minutes it's overcoming that I think that's a challenge for a lot of people absolutely and consistency is so important in the beginning because you know it, it takes a while to get into anything new but my yoga teacher in Sydney the one who I was drawn to during my burnout and I ended up doing my teacher training with is um, a woman called Kate Kendall and she has this philosophy called the space between which I just adore. Um, She always says that there are three rhythms in the body. There's the rhythm of the heart, the rhythm of the breath and the rhythm of the brain waves and we can't change the rhythm of the brain waves or the rhythm of the heart, but we can change the rhythm of our breath, which is what yoga is or what you do 
in a yoga practice. And the amazing thing is, is that when we do change the rhythm of our breath, just by focusing on extending the exhale, putting, you know, often just sitting at your desk if you're feeling overwhelmed and putting your hands on your belly and just focusing on breathing into the belly, that slows down your breath. And then what what happens there is the rhythm of your heart and your brain waves is automatically slowed because you've changed the rhythm of your breath, which is quite amazing. It is. Our brain has so much control over the rest of our body. And I think sometimes we almost feel that we have a lack of control over our thinking and so on, but it's when you can try to harness that space, there's a cascade of positive changes. I'm reading a book at the moment by David Perlmutter, which is called Brainwash, and it's uh, I'm only into the early stages of the book, but um, this is an area of interest for me, brain health and how we can make massive impact in our health and our body and our well-being just by changing the way we think and the way our brains operate. Um, but mm. just understanding the power of the brain to reset your whole body is pretty phenomenal. So I would definitely say anybody who is struggling with stress or anxiety or burnout to even just do some reading around what you can do with brain plasticity and with tuning Mm. into your breathing and how all of that can influence recovery, wellness, even recovery from illness. Yeah. My observation and experience around burnout is that it leaves a permanent scar and uh, and I personally am grateful for that because I feel like it is a little gate that every time I go back to, the gate swings open and, and I get this warning sign like, you're going back somewhere you don't want to go. So it forces me personally to take a day off or go and catch up with a friend or something like that. Have you experienced that and what are the signs you look out for now and what do you do to ensure that you don't go back to that state of burnout or high anxiety? Good question. I am personally so grateful for my scar and someone once said to me, "Your one day your mess will become your message and yeah. I absolutely love that and I I believe wholeheartedly that the mess that I went through has got me to what I'm doing today. Um, if I hadn't burnt out, there is no way that I would be helping small business owners find headspace and clarity. There is no way I would have done that. And you can see how intrinsically linked they are. I didn't have headspace and clarity. I would overcomplicate everything back in my agency days. I, I remember writing a 12-page photography brief you're never going to get good work out of a photographer by overcomplicating it to that extent. Um, (laughs) And that that causes so much work for everyone, extra work for the photographer, extra work for the client, extra work, you know, approving 12 pages and getting 12 pages right takes so many rounds of changes. Now I just... And get a creative person to read 12 pages of copy. (laughs) Well, well, then you're getting a creative person to read instead of create, which is just baffling. Anyway... So um, so I now help people find headspace and clarity when they can't get there on their own. And I'm so passionate about, and I'm so, I, I seem to be so drawn to um, small business owners, particularly when they are in that overwhelmed pre-burnout phase. And I've done a lot of reading into slow business and simplifying things. I love that term. Did you say slow business? Slow business. Yeah. I'm going to write that um, down because that's a great way to approach it. 
Yeah. I because, can't I never you know, heard you say that before, Kate. I don't know. <laughs> I've written a couple of blog posts about it as well, so I'll make sure I send oh them to gosh. you. Oh, my gosh. Harvard Business Review did a study over a few-year period, and they looked at businesses that were moving fast and jumping at every single opportunity, and they looked at businesses that would pause at key moments. And over the three- to five-year period, the businesses that operated in a slower, more considered, more mindful, more strategic way actually had higher profits than the businesses that move fast. And it makes sense because, you know, we all know what it's like when we're making those considered decisions or when we're operating in fight or flight and we're just sort of saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. And it's kind of, you know, in that moment of operating out of scarcity rather than abundance, you know, it's much easier to say yes to something than it is to say no to something. So, I help people say no, clear the decks, simplify. Like you'll know this from working with me, Liz. I'm always saying we don't need to do it all now. We can slow it down. Let's do this first. Let's try this later. And just just looking for the the simpler path. And, you know, simple, I think often people think that simple is not as good as, you know, the alternative, but I believe if we can all operate in a more simple, um, slower way, that we'll all be so much happier as humans, both in work and life. We'll find more balance. And this is such a word in season right now with life slowing down for us without our choice. For most people in most industries, we're forced to slow down right now. And I think that gives a lot of people anxiety because they feel like they're going to miss the boat. They're not going to be first cap off the rank or they're going to miss a whole bunch of uh, contracts or all of these things, even being forced to change strategy. But I think this is such a beautiful word in season right now. And I hope that everybody listening who owns a business or has a leadership role can really take this on board. Because if we can all adopt the approach of slow life and slow business, can you imagine how different our world would be? And we all would have time for other. We'd have more time for our kids and bike rides. Like I'm seeing a lot of people in my neighborhood now riding bikes with their kids. I didn't see that before. Um, mm. This whole slower approach, not only to life, but to business could really make a huge positive impact on your community and our Australian community at large. I really hope that in this period of downturn, we all can find the space in our thinking to change that. I just think that's um, really beautiful and really timely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also what happens when, you know, we're all in this collective slowdown at the moment. And and I think what we're all finding in this slower life that we've been forced into, you know, and it, it is hard. Um, I feel like I've been practicing for the last five years, but but I'm very, very aware that for a lot of people, this is a really uncomfortable space to be forced into. But the interesting thing for me is the conversations have been so deep with everyone, but also we are so conscious about what we're buying and where we're spending our money. And and it just makes you think, okay, so if we are operating slower, which means our revenue's down, our income's down, we are being more conscious and considered with how we're spending our money. We are making more from scratch. We are making the most of what we have and we are enjoying a simpler life and it'll be interesting to see how people feel at the other end and what what part of this sort of collective slowdown we hang on to when we when we move back into our lives and hopefully we don't rush back into 
how life was before and you know we really do take this adjustment take this reset that we're all experiencing globally and use it for good yeah that's really good um, advice I think for all of us whether we're in business or not in business so for people who are dealing with anxiety or stress or burnout, I'd love to know what your advice is for them. But also, what about people who have colleagues, friends, partners, kids, people that are in their close space, that they're noticing changes, they're noticing negative changes, they're noticing changes in personality, and maybe they know that they're going through burnout and maybe they weren't aware before. What would you say to those people as well? How do we help people around us who are going through high anxiety and on the way to burnout or right in the middle of it? Um, I'll start with the people around those burning out um, and then finish with those burning out for the people around I think it's a really it's, it's something I get asked quite often it's really really challenging I often think what would former me have listened to or done because someone had given me advice or prompted me to make a change and I think there's actually nothing you can say to someone when they're in that burnout state that will change them and I think acknowledging that they need to learn it for themselves, they need to experience it and and get to the point of a psychologist or leaving their job or whatever on their own, um, I think that's a really important um, thing to acknowledge if you are on the outside of, of someone's burnout. But the most important thing you can do is listen. Be there and listen and check in. Yeah. And check in and ask them how they're feeling, how they're feeling in this moment. Like how they how are you? How are you today? How are you this afternoon? Because some days can still feel fantastic, and other days you feel like the world is falling out from under exactly. your feet. And if you have those constant questions of how are you feeling today, then if you are that person who is going through burnout, then they'll start to realize, oh, okay, so I said. I was okay yesterday and today I'm not, what's changed? So you can just yeah. through your own questioning and listening, you can help people become curious of their own state. And the other thing that I wish I'd seen earlier was Dr. Libby's Rushing Women Syndrome TED Talk. Oh, that's and fantastic. Yeah. It is <laughs> the best. Yeah. And if you're not at the point where you can read, because a lot of people, when they're in burnout, they don't have time to do anything um, because they're so or, busy. Or inclination either. Or inclination, but listening to the TED Talk when you're driving to work or on the bus or walking, whatever it is, like Dr. Libby is amazing. And the way she breaks it down biochemically um, is insane. Yeah. I highly, highly recommend that everyone everyone watches that. Um, I've watched it so many times and love it. And then for people who are burning out, I think acknowledging that you're not okay is the most important thing you can do. And don't feel like you need to do it all. Don't apply that same overachieving um, rigor that you apply to everything else in your life to burn out and take it slowly. Um, and even if it's finding a guided meditation or a breathwork exercise or just taking 10 deep breaths into your belly, into your hands, they're the small things that can start to make that powerful shift. I think breathing is the number one thing. If you start by breathing, you know, yoga may or may not be for you. 
and yoga may or may not be for you right now or at different points it's there when you need it same as meditation sometimes you know giving people advice to meditate is the opposite of what they actually need but I think finding finding those things that you do like you know for you Liz it's being in the garden um or walking walking with a friend I'm loving walking with a friend at the moment down on the beach because it's one of the only things we can do with someone else Mm -hmm. um but finding those things that you love you know my meditation is actually cooking, spending time in the kitchen cooking a meal. And I think finding those things that you enjoy and making space for those things where you are mindless, um, you are completely you know, in the moment, you're not thinking about work and thinking of the to-do list, you're just coming completely into the present moment. I think find those things and make just little incremental um, increases in time for those things in your week or weekend um, and breathing. I think they're the most important things. Do you know on that, one of the things that really helped me when I was in a period of burnout a few years back was making bread. I started making bread from mm. scratch and let, you know watching it rise and doing the kneading and so on and then taking a fresh loaf of bread out the oven and inviting people over to eat a whole loaf of bread with organic butter. That whole process mm. somehow was like meditation for me. So it can be something so simple and so not what you expect that can help you just disconnect from all of that and find recovery. Katie, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And, you know, I just want to say in front of everybody, in front of the whole world, like <laughs> like a marriage uh, ceremony, <laughs> you have been such a breath of fresh air to me personally and in my business as well. And in a time in my personal life and my business life where I was in a bit of a crisis and I didn't know how to take the next step for strategy for my business, you came in like a a massive blessing and a ray of sunshine. And, um, you know, we're not doing this interview for a plug, but I do want to plug you because if people are looking for clarity for their business and uh, especially for small business owners who really have a business that aims to be purposeful, I think you're the go-to person. And I'd love it for you to write a book one day because I will definitely be reading it and sharing it. (laughs) And I have one other question for you, Katie. How often are you waking up to a double shot latte and a bacon egg roll now? Oh, never. (laughs) Never. Absolutely never. Oh, no, she's going to say I still do that one every day. Never. Never. What's, What's breakfast like for you now? Oh, breakfast now is I made porridge this morning, um, like slow. I love making a slow breakfast, um, but it's always whole foods, always yep. whole foods. Um, I'm making a healthy healthy mite spread, so I've been having that um, on toast, on gluten-free toast. And like you, I've, I've just bought a 20-kilo bag of flour and yes. this weekend I'm going to tackle sourdough. So good. And I'm going to make one for Easter. That's going to be our our Easter lunch is going to be a a slow sourdough loaf as well. So bread is so healing for so many reasons. Um, (laughs) But ironically, I still have a double shot coffee. It's a double espresso. Oh, but you probably make it your own not doing it at (laughs) 5am. No, I'm not doing it at 5am. And um, I think it's so funny. Some people look at me. There are some days where I'll have, you know, two or three coffees and they'll just say, can I just see your hands? Can you put your hands out? And they're just calm. It's all about how your own body handles it, right? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Katie, for anyone who wants to hear more about your story or get in touch with you, do you want to give us 
your contact details, your website, your Instagram handle, all of that stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so my website is www.katiegraham, which is K-A-T-I-E-G-R-A-H-A-M.com.au. And my Instagram is at K-T, the letters K-T underscore Graham. And over on my journal, there are a couple, if you are interested in um, this soul way of life, there are actually quite a few articles um, and interviews with other people on the collective slowdown, slow business that you might be interested in having a little read of. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Katie. What a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much, Liz.